God's Spirit speaks to us today through James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And so the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. All right, well, welcome, everybody. Let's take our Bibles together, if we could, and turn to the book of James, James chapter 3, the passage that was just read. You know, as elders, we've been preaching through the book of James for uh, the last few weeks, all throughout the month of August, and now today, I have the immense privilege of preaching this great text of the Bible, a text that speaks to the tongue, the tongue. Which, which is appropriate for me in so many ways. First of all, because I'm, I'm an extrovert, okay? I like to talk, but then I'm also a preacher. I'm a professional talker, and you know how it goes. Preachers gotta preach. So when I read through the book of James, I'll just let you know, as I've been reading through this book throughout the last few weeks, my, my mind stays engaged in James 3, 1 through 12. And this great warning, even, about the tongue, the use of the tongue, and also a description of how we can use it for good, not just uh, for evil. Now, let, let me be clear here. I'm an extrovert, I'm a preacher, but you know, all of us, I think, need this lesson from James chapter three. I don't think any of us are coming to James three this morning and thinking to ourselves, you know what, Pastor Tony, I got this. My tongue is totally under control. I doubt there's anybody listening right now who would say that. We all, introverts and extroverts, preachers and non-preachers, need to learn how to better handle our tongue. We all struggle with sins of the tongue. So this is a human thing, not, a, not, not an extrovert thing. If you, let me say it this way, if you are a homo sapien, is everybody out there a homo sapien? There might be a few dogs listening at home, but if you, if you are a homo sapien, you're going to struggle with what we see here in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. But there's hope, and I want to offer you some hope this morning as well as we work through this text. 
You know, when Sonia and I lived in Chicago, I had this good friend from Colombia. His name is Alejandro. And he was kind of a foodie. And he liked to take us to these different kind of hole in the wall establishments in Chicago and, and introduce us to exotic foods. Well, one day he wanted to take me to his favorite Colombian restaurant in Chicago. I said, okay. And he, he wanted to, to show me this Colombian delicacy that he loved very much. And he said, I'm not gonna tell you what it is. I'll tell you, you know, we'll order it there when we get there. I said, okay, I'll do it. And when we got there, I, I remember him ordering it in Spanish. He, once he was done ordering, they brought out to our table this very tasty, by the way, plate of beef tongue. Beef tongue. Really good, by the way, better than I thought it would be. And I remember thinking to myself as I'm eating this cow tongue, I remember thinking to myself, you know, wh why does the cow deserve this? I mean, he's never used his tongue for evil. If anybody's tongue really deserves to be eaten, it's probably the human tongue. But of course, that's just weird. And, you know, cannibalism. So that doesn't sound very appetizing. This tongue in, in the human can be used for evil for good. There's actually an Aesop's fable that speaks to this. Aesop writes about this famous cook that wanted to produce this great dish for his king. And so... Uh, the best dish that he could produce. So he cooks for the dish and all the, for his king and all of his guests, this dish of tongue. And the king raved about it. That was great. That was wonderful. Now tomorrow, says the king to his cook, I want you to cook the worst dish that you know how to prepare. So the cook's like, okay, I'll cook you something else. And the next day they had the same exact dish. They had tongue. And the, the king was like, why'd you do that? Why would you have for both days, your best dish and your worst dish, tongue? And here's what that cook said. He said, the tongue is the best of things when used wisely and lovingly, but it's the worst of things when used carelessly and unkindly. It's the best and it's the worst. You know, Aesop, that's like what? 300 years before Christ. Aesop is alluding to something that the apostle James is referencing here in James 3. They're, they're very similar here, the, the ideas that they're conveying. Chapter three, sorry, chapter three, verse nine. Here's what James says. He says, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. It shouldn't be like that, says James. And here's the essence of my message today. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear my heart in this. This is not gonna be one of those messages where I just denounce all the bad things that we can do with our tongue. I mean, that's actually pretty easy to cobble together all the bad uses of the tongue, all the things that we should stop doing. What, what I really wanna encourage you to do, and what I see James doing here, is to show you a better way of using your tongue. Yes, turn away from the sins of the tongue, but embrace this better way as well, not to tear down or to curse those who are made in the image of God, but to build them up, to edify them, and along the way, praise and worship our Father who is in heaven, right? So let's talk about the tongue, and let's, let's talk about how we can better use the tongue for God's glory. I'll give you three statements from the text this morning from James 3, 1 through 12. These are blinding flashes of the obvious. If you heard that passage just read, these are not gonna surprise you at all. And here's the first. 
very clearly the, the argument, part of the argument that James is making here is that our tongues, this, this little muscle in our mouth, our tongues are small but powerful. They are small but powerful. Incidentally, chapter three is not the first place that James speaks about the tongue. In this, in this letter, James says in chapter one, verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James says in, in chapter one, verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This tongue, this idea of speech, we're not really talking about that physical instrument, the tongue, right? We're talking about speech, that thing that we use our mouths and our tongues to do. Speech is a theme all the way throughout this book. And, and what James is saying here is that there's a lot of bad things that we can do with our tongues, with our speech. And James knows all about this. James was there when his big brother was accused falsely by the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He was there when his big brother got enmeshed in this controversy and he was, he was accused and he was entrapped by the Pharisees and eventually he was crucified by them. And these were the teachers of Israel too, by the way, that entrapped Jesus by their words, by their deceit. And so, you know, James, when, he, when, when he's talking here about teachers first, I think there's a reason for that. There's a warning, especially in, as it relates to our tongues with teachers. So here's what, here's what James does when he drills down in verse one. He says, not many of you, not many of you should become teachers. So, you know, this is, this is a really hard passage for me. Not only am I an extrovert, not only do I talk for a living, but I'm a teacher of God's word. So warning, warning, not many of you should become teachers, brothers. Why? For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, says James. Now, two questions here for you that I want to answer. First of all, why are teachers like myself? Why are we judged with greater strictness? And then secondly, I want to answer the question, what does that mean that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness? Let's take those questions in turn. First of all, the why. Why are those who use their tongues to teach, why are they judged with more strictness? The reason is because we who teach and and implicitly here, what James is talking about is the word of God, those who teach within the context of the church. Those who teach are actually representing God before their people, before the sheep, as shepherds even. And so when you represent God, that is no small thing. That is huge. When you stand right here, like I am in front of this camera, like I typically do in a pulpit in front of the church and say, thus says the Lord, that has incredible weight to it. That is a big deal. James knows all about that. This is a, this is a huge task and a burden. You know, I, just while I'm on this subject, I, I wanna tell you, you know, your elders have fed you well over the last few weeks as they've taught through James. And I want you to know, we all know, we're all well aware as elders about this responsibility, about this task we have before the Lord and how we are being called to a higher standard than those who don't teach. Your elders are, are well aware of that. 
And I appreciate their courage in the face of that and their faithfulness to stand before the church and say, thus says the Lord. They do more than just teach in that way from the pulpit, but they do that and that's a big deal. And they've taken it upon themselves to do that. Those of you who teach children and harvest kids, thank you for that. That is a wonderful gift to our kids. And I know you feel the weight of responsibility with that. You should, you should. You are standing before children these, these children that Jesus loves and loved when he was here on earth. He loves the children. You're standing before the children. You're saying, thus says the Lord. This is what God says. That is an immense privilege and, and huge responsibility in birth. And that's what James is alluding to here. So don't, in all of those tasks, elders, let me tell you, Harvest Kids teachers, let me tell you, I'm preaching to myself here this morning. We should never take that task lightly and we can never misrepresent the God of the universe or use this teaching opportunity that we have for selfish gain. God forbid that we would ever do that here at Harvest Decatur. Now, what does it mean that we will be judged by a greater strictness? I wanna answer that question because this is key. And I want you to be clear about this as well, elders, so <laughs> listen in now. It doesn't mean that we will be judged by a different standard other than faith in Jesus Christ for our salvation, okay? So it's not like, well, I believe in Christ, but I taught something bad at one time, so I lost my salvation. No, that's not what James is talking about here. And, and quite frankly, that just doesn't square with Scripture. What it does mean is that God will discipline us more strictly in this life. So you gotta be up for that. If you're gonna stand here and say, thus says the Lord. I have to be up for that. It means that God has called us to a higher standard of character and morality before the world, before the sheep even. See 1 Timothy 3 for more on that. See Titus 1 for more on that. It means that God will expose our hypocrisy and our misrepresentation of him. It means we are called to a higher standard. And there, there is the potential there for a greater reward. There is. You know, we as elders have memorized First Peter 5 before, and Peter talks about this crown, this unfaded crown of glory, that this, I think, a unique gift that's offered to the elders who lead the church and lead well within the church. So there's this great opportunity for us as elders who lead well. But there's also the possibility of being judged by a higher standard. Being, having our, our deeds and our actions actually judged at a higher standard in terms of the way in which God rewards us in eternity. And that, that there's positive reinforcement for doing our task well, 1 Peter 5. Here's the negative reinforcement, James 3, verse 1. We who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James says this in verse 2. Let's look together at this in your Bible. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anybody does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. In other words, the tongue is like the final frontier of Christian sanctification. If you are able to bridle your tongue, then you can control your entire body. If, you, if you're able to master your tongue, you can master anything, according to James. And I... I can hear the objection to that, and maybe that's stirring in your soul right now. Like, come on, James, really? Really, like the tongue, if we can control the tongue, we can control everything. Aren't you exaggerating just a little bit here? I mean, the tongue is just this little 
this little hunk of muscle and flesh. How could it be so powerful, more powerful than all the other members of our body? Well, James anticipates that objection here. Because look what he says in verse three. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. You ever ridden a horse before? You ever galloped at full speed on this creature that weighs about a thousand pounds that could crush you at any moment? And yet this, this creature that's so large and majestic and beautiful has this thing in its mouth, this, this little itty bitty bit that you can just by the flick of your wrist turn to the left or turn the right or, or get him to, to giddy up. This, this little thing wields great power over the horse. And, and you know, what, what's James talking about? What's he illustrating here? He's a great illustrator, by the way. He's saying this little thing inside of you can control your body too and, and has incredible amount of power too. Speaking of illustrations, here's another great illustration. Verse four, James says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue. Here's the payoff for the illustration. What are you talking about, James? Here, What are you talking about? So also the tongue is a small member of your body, yet it boasts of great things. You know, when I was in Florida with my dad, we, we rented this sailboat that we took out on the ocean. And, you know, it was, it, it was fantastic. It was just this little uh, dual pontoon catamaran boat. So pretty small by today's standards, you know, with like big gas powered ocean liners or whatever. But actually that little catamaran is probably closer in size to the boats that James is talking about here than some of our large, um, you know, diesel powered boats. But you know, my dad and I, we took this sailboat out onto the ocean and you get everything set up the way that you want it. You get, it, you get the boat pointed in the right direction. You get the, the wind figured out where it's going into your jib and it's going into your mainsail and it's dragging your boat along. And it's really quite thrilling whenever you do that. Get your sails nice and taut, get, get the, the boat moving at a pretty quick pace in the right direction. Once you do that, then all you have to do is, is turn this rudder, this, this rudder on the back of the boat. When, you know, in, in the grand scheme of thing, things, it's like 1% of the entire size of the boat. This little tiny rudder is able to maneuver this, this sailboat going along at a quick pace on the ocean. And, you know, I was, I was sailing with my dad, and my dad, he's, he, he's a little nervous whenever I'm the one who's running the sailboat and handling the rudder. I can tell he's getting anxious about it because there comes this moment when you're on a sailboat where you have to tack, meaning you have to turn around and catch the wind in a different way. And the problem is if you, if you turn that rudder too fast as you're turning, getting ready to tack, you can actually flip the boat. And so there were a few times where I could just see it in my dad's eyes. He's like, son, I love you, but you better not flip this boat. You better take it easy. Because that, that little rudder right there has incredible power over this boat and over you and me in the boat. And, and, and that's how this illustration works. Let me spell out what James is saying here. He's saying your tongue, harvest decatur, this little itty bitty thing inside of your body has 
incredible power over your life. You can use it to harness the wind, so to speak. You can harness it for great things, but you can destroy some stuff with it too. So you better be careful with that tongue. Let's talk about marriage, for example. Some husbands use their tongues to build up and encourage their wives. Some, some husbands use their tongues to destroy their family and to tear down their wives. Some wives use their tongue for good, to build up, to encourage, to establish peace in the home. Some wives use their tongue to destroy their homes and to tear down their husbands. Let me talk to you kids, you have a role in this too. You can use your tongue for great good in your home, kids, to encourage your siblings, to love on your siblings, to respect your parents, to even publicly praise your parents. That's a good thing to do. You can also use your tongue, kids, all of us can, to destroy the peace of your home and to tear down another person. This tiny little muscle that we have wields great power in our lives. By the way, what's the largest muscle in your body? Do you know? Here's a tiny muscle this time. You know what the largest muscle in your body is? I'll tell you what it is in Latin. It's your gluteus maximus. That's the largest muscle. And there's this great Louisiana proverb that goes like this. Don't let your alligator mouth jeopardize your hummingbird behind. Y'all ever heard that before? I had to clean that up a little bit for you. Don't let your alligator mouth jeopardize your hummingbird behind. What does that mean? It means you better stop talking. This is the kind of thing a parent would say to a kid. To a kid. You better stop talking or the rest of your body, i.e. your gluteus maximus, is going to be hurting in just a second and you're going to pay for it. By the way, the tongue, this thing, it's the only muscle in your body that's only attached to one bone on one side. It's, it's, the only, it's the only muscle. Out of all the muscles in your body, you have one muscle that's only attached on, on one side. And which means what? The other side of your tongue is loose. It's not attached to anything. And metaphorically speaking, for some of us, it is loose, too, way too loose. And so we need to, metaphorically speaking, tie up that tongue and make sure it doesn't say something that can cause great harm to another person. We can't let its looseness get us into trouble. And some of you might right now, even as I'm talking, might say, ah, oh, come on, Pastor Tony, it's not that big. It's just a little tongue, just a little talk. Talk doesn't mean that much. You know, and that's the way I am. I just talk a lot. I just have a lot to say. This is the way that God made me. I just have a loose tongue. You guys ever taken those personality tests and try to discern some of your proclivities based on your personality? I've done a fair amount of that, whether it's the, you know, the Myers-Briggs test or the Enneagram or the, the DISC analysis. And I mean, I do like taking those tests, but it's kind of discouraging. Whenever I take those tests, I inevitably uh, come out as, and this you can read this description, in, in the Myers-Briggs world, it's the ESTJ. I am the stereotypical, loud-mouthed, opinionated American person, okay? I am the Dwight Schrute of personality types. 
And it's discouraging, you know? It's like, I don't, I don't want to be that anymore. And, and even as I age, I think to myself, I took these tests when I was in college, and I think, oh, I'm gonna take the test now, and I'm different now, I'm not like that anymore. Inevitably, I get the same result. I'm that same guy. In fact, this, this personality type, the ESTJ, I don't know what it is in the other ones, but it's, it's the person, actually, the, the stereotypical American that travels abroad and annoys the rest of the people of the world. And, you know, that, that actually makes sense. That makes a lot of my trips to Croatia over the years make sense. And, and here's the thing. There's this temptation because of that personality type that I have, the way that God made me. There's this temptation in my heart to say, well, that's just me. Deal with it. That's just how I am. It's how God made me. I can't change. What's the big deal anyway? You know, I... I don't want to be that way. I don't want to use that as an excuse for my sinfulness. I'm not ashamed of the way God made me. I'm not. I think I've come to peace with it. But I want to be better than that. I, I don't want those types, my personality type, to be an excuse, or even the fact that I'm an American, be an excuse for bad behavior or sin. I want to hone that personality type, that way that God has made me for good and not for evil. And here's why this is important. This is why it's important to me. This is why it should be important to you. Look at verse five. So also the tongue is a small member, just like the rudder on the boat, just like the bit in the mouth of the horse, yet it boasts of great things. James says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Smokey the bear, right? It only takes a spark. It only takes a cigarette butt to create this great fire. If you've ever seen one of those commercials, you know what James is talking about right here. And James says, and the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness, verse 6. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. This is why I want to be serious about my tongue. Because according to this, it can be a great instrument for evil in the hands of Satan. Caught, you know, set on fire by hell. The word for hell here in Greek is the word Gehenna. And Gehenna is actually a place in ancient Israel called the, the Hinnom Valley. It was this great trash heap with perpetually burning rubbish. It, it had uh, kind of an evil reputation in the Old Testament world because it was a place that was used for uh, sacrifices, human sacrifices and child sacrifices and other evil things. But in the intertestamental period, this term Gehenna actually got used for this place of judgment. And so I wanna be careful here because when you see this word Gehenna, you know, James is not talking metaphorically about this perpetual dump of rubbish that's burning, as, as apropos as that might be for our tongue. He's talking about something that has satanic power. He has, he's talking about something that Satan can use. I think that's a better way to say it. Satan can use to accomplish some truly hellish things. Doug Moo says it this way, the power of Satan himself, the chief denizen of hell, gives to the tongue its great destructive potential. Now, it doesn't have to be that way, but it can be that way, your tongue. And that's why we need to get control of it. That's why James is warning us about this. 
Paul Bunyan has this character called Talkative in Pilgrim's Progress. And if you've read that book, Talkative is kind of an annoying person. <laughs> it's probably an ESTJ. Um, and he, he's a real charmer. People tend to love him at first, but Christian has discernment about this guy Talkative. And he says he's a saint abroad and he's a devil at home. He's a saint abroad and he's a devil at home. In other words, he talks a big game. He seems like a nice guy, but he uses his tongue for great evil at home. Pastor Tony, you know, it's not that big a deal. This is the way I am. I just speak my mind. I can't help it. This is how God may be. No, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. Satan can use your tongue to wreak great havoc on the lives of the people around you and on your own life. Are you aware of that, Christian? That power that's willed, wielded by, by your speech, by the things that you say, are you, are you willing to change that about yourself? I hope that you are. I hope that you are. Unfortunately, I got some bad news for you. Some of you right now, even as we've read through this text, I'm talking about this, you're like, yes, Pastor, I want to change. I don't want my tongue to be like that, to be used by Satan for evil. How do I change? Here, here's some bad news. The bad news is that your willingness to change and your desire to change isn't enough. You don't have the power in and of yourself to change what's going on with your tongue. Here's what I mean by that. Here's the second point from our passage. Our tongues are untamable by human power. Our tongues are small and powerful, but also our tongues are untamable by human power. And to that you might say, well, thanks a lot, Pastor Tony. You know, first you tell me that this tongue is is something that causes all kinds of evil and destruction, and I need to get a hold of it. And then you tell me I can't get a hold of it. You tell me our tongues are untamable by human power. What am I supposed to do now? Well, hold on. Let me point out something here. There's a, there's a key adjective in that second point. It's the adjective human. Our tongues are untamable by human power. It's the Greek word anthropos that James uses here. And anthropos, we get our our English word anthropology from this word. Anthropologically speaking, you can't tame your tongue. But theologically speaking, theos is the Greek word for God. By the power of theos, by the power of God working inside of you, you can tame your tongue. Not, not humanly speaking, not by human power, but by God's power. Speaking of human power, James says this in verse 7. He says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, all of them can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. And, and that's true. I hope you can see the allusions here to Genesis 1. You know, Genesis 1, God creates reptiles and sea creatures and, and the beasts and the birds even. And then God creates his, his best created thing. He creates man who was made in his image. And he says, rule over the other animals. And we do. And we have. We get, you know, we got animals in zoos. We got animals in circuses. We got beasts of burden that do our bidding. We've got domesticated pets. Well, this is true. We have tamed animals. Speaking of tamed animals at the coffee house, we just, we just got another pet. We just got a... A little cat, and you know, here's a picture of him. 
His name, if you're wondering, is Mahashalar Hashbaz. But you can just call him Baz for short. And, you know, we're, don't be mistaken by his cuteness. He, he's unruly right now. But we'll tame him, and we're, we're trying to domesticate him now. You know, right now it's like pee in your box and do your thing. Don't scratch the furniture. Don't jump up on the table. We're, we're going to train him. And he'll be well, well trained in just a little bit. And, you know, the whole enterprise of this, us training Boz, all of that is, is nothing compared to what other people do with animals. You know, training dolphins and whales and tigers and elephants. I already mentioned horses and what we can do with them. We tame the largest and most dangerous creatures in the world and we use them for our bidding and for our entertainment. That was true even in James's day, 2,000 years ago. But look what James says in verse 8. We can tame those great beasts, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You know, when I was a kid, I talked a lot in class and I was really disruptive. And so at one point when I was a kid, the teachers literally taped my mouth shut with uh, scotch tape. You know, I, I don't think you could get away with it today, but they did it, uh, I don't know, 35 years ago. And, you know, did that cure my problem? No, as soon as they took the tape off, I was just as disruptive as I was before that. No man can tame the tongue. No man. You know, Sonia and Alistair and I, we've been watching this show. We've been actually watching old episodes of The Amazing Race. And, you know, what's amazing about that, not the race, but what's amazing about that show is how little control of the tongue most of those contestants have in that show. And, you know, it's really, it's really, it's really kind of sad. Because you watch in one episode where they make a promise, you know, I'll never hurt you again. I'll never say something mean again. I promise I'll be good for the rest of this race or whatever. And then in the next episode, like 10 hours later, they're calling each other like, idiot and stupid and imbecile. They, they can't even go 10 hours making that promise. That's amazing to me in The Amazing Race. No human being through human power can tame the tongue. And here's, here's the point that James is getting to. Let me get to it as well. If you're going to tame this muscle, if you're going to tame your speech, if you're going to control this, you need help outside of yourself. You need a power that's different than human power. You need something beyond just a will for behavior modification. What you ultimately need, and this is the starting point, it's not a tongue change. What you need, according to Jesus, is a heart change. You need a heart change. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Luke 6. Because what is the tongue, ultimately? I mean, we're not really talking about a muscle or a body part. We're not really even talking about our lips moving and our mouths moving, to performing this thing. We're talking about speech. We're talking about the overflow of the heart. We're talking about something that makes us people and our personhood is wrapped up in our speech that's something that we do that other animals don't do and and when we use our speech as a weapon for something other than the king of kings when we when we use our speech and it's untamed by us 
and uninfluenced by God, it is a weapon in defiance of the King of Kings. And it causes great problems and brings about great evil. Proverbs 12, 18 says this, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Like sword thrusts. Let me ask you, just, just search your heart for a second. Is that you? Is that you? Are you that kind of, with your words, thrusting a sword into another person, piercing even body parts, and, and cutting a person open as you thrust in and out, in and out with your speech? Is that what God created us in his image to do to one another? Now, here's the thing. Our speech, it's not that God wants to take away that sword or take away that weapon or remove it forever. What God wants to do, and this is what he has to accomplish in his power, not our own, is he's going to take that weapon that you used in defiance against the king of kings and all those made in God's image. He's going to take that weapon and he's going to refine it and use it for his purposes, for good purposes instead of evil. Back to Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. It's not a sword that cuts. It's a suture that heals. It's a scalpel that heals. That's what God wants to do with your speech. So here's my last point, and here's where James is going. Yes, our tongue is small and powerful. Our tongues are untamable by human power, but also our tongues are redeemable for good and not evil. The goal of this message is not just to restrict the evil of your tongue. It's not just to literally or metaphorically tape your mouth shut. The goal is to wield this great thing that God has given you for good and not for evil. It's to use it to bless, bless others. And in order to do that, in order to use it for good, you've got to access a power outside of yourself. You've got to access, you've got to harness the Holy Spirit inside of you. As I've said before, if you have faith in Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. If you don't have faith in Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You don't have any chance of taming your tongue. You don't have any hope of that. But if you do have faith in Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you that can help you. If you've got faith in Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit. Your tongue is untamable by human power, but it is tamable by the power of God working inside of you. James says in verse 9, with our tongues we bless our Lord and Father. And that's true. We pray to God. We worship Him. We sing praises to him. We, we worship him by using our tongue to tell other people about the gospel, to tell them that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him has, has eternal life, won't perish. We can use our tongues to do that great thing, preach the gospel in that way. Our tongues can be used for great things. But James says, with our tongues, we bless our Lord and our Father but with it also we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. This is the scriptural equivalent to the phrase, do you kiss your mother with that mouth? You kiss your mother with that mouth? 
you, you praise God and then you curse men and women who are made in the image of God. You demean them, you insult them, you belittle them. Shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't be that duplicitous to praise God and then put down those who are made in the image of God. And you know, by the way, James, he's not talking to the world here. He's talking to believers. He, he knows the world, they're gonna, they don't have any control over their tongues and they're not gonna have control over their tongues. He's talking to believers. Say, so you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you, sh you should be better than this. You shouldn't be living your lives like this. Your faith has to work. Remember Don's message from last week? From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, verse 10. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Here's another great illustration from John. He's so good, at, uh, from James, sorry. He's so good at this. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, brothers, believers, right? Bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. In other words, Christian, you're not a bitter spring. Okay? You're not the dead sea. You are a saved follower of Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. You should be producing fresh water for other people to refresh themselves with. You should be uttering words that encourage and build up and give life, not, not ushing out or oozing out water that gives death. You're not a bitter spring. You're a fresh water spring. You should be. If you're a genuine follower, follower of Jesus. Can a, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce frigs? In other words, you're not an unbeliever anymore. You're, you're a whole different kind of tree, a whole different kind of fruit producer. And you should be producing fruit in keeping with repentance. Remember what Don said last week? I thought that was so good last week. Just helping us understand the intersection of faith and works. Faith without works is dead, people. And part of your works is your words. Your words is work. Did I say that right? Your words are work. Words are work. That sounds better, doesn't it? This is, this is an aspect of how we live out our, food, our faith and produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Some of you might say, I, I can't do that, Pastor Tony. I, I can't. I can't train my mouth and my speech like what you're talking about. I'm an ESTJ, can't do it. I'm an eight on the Enneagram scale. I'm an extrovert. I'm, I'm opinionated. I'm from Latin America, Pastor Tony. I'm Irish, I can't do that. I'm the middle child in my family. This is how we are, we just, we just have to speak our mind and sometimes it comes out sinful. So help me. I'm an American, Pastor Tony. We can't help ourselves. I've had a hard life, Pastor Tony. I, I can't tame my tongue. No, 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 no. Listen, you might be those things. I'm some of those things. But before you are any of those other things, before you are anything else, you as a Christian are a blood-bought follower of Jesus Christ. That comes before everything else. That is your identity. 
And as a blood-bought, redeemed follower of Jesus, your tongue can be tamed. And it should be, says James. It should be. Look, I'll be frank with you. Are you going to sin with your tongue? Even after this message, even after you try like crazy to put it into practice, yes, you are. Yes, you are. And you're going to make mistakes as a follower of Jesus Christ. I get that. I can't tell you how many times in my own life I've had to say to my, to my wife, to my son, to my parents, to my elders, you know what? I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That's what we do. You know what you do when you sin with your tongue? You do two things, okay? You do two things. The first thing that you do is that you own it. You don't say, well, that's just the way I am. I can't change it. No, you own it. I shouldn't have done that. You repent. Repentance brings healing. It brings God's mercy. And then the second thing that you do when you sin with your tongue, and quite honestly, when you sin in every category of life, you fall upon God's grace. You fall upon God's grace. Because here, let me tell you something about yourself. When God saved you from your sins, when God saved your life and made you a child of God, he knew all of the sins of your tongue that you committed in the past, that you will commit in the present, and that you will commit in the future. He knew all about that, and he still saved you. Can you believe that? What a good God we serve. He still offers you grace. He still offers you grace. But like James says, that grace that saves us changes us. And it pushes us forward to produce works in keeping with repentance. And part of that is what we say. Words are work. Words are part of our work. I'm pretty much done now, but let me just finish by saying this. You will live your entire life trying to tame your tongue. You will. I hate to disappoint you now. If, if you think you won't or if you think you got a handle on it, it's probably because you're, you're really young and you haven't seen just how much damage your tongue can do yet. But for most of us, we know the damage and we know that it's, it's a battle with our tongue. And that battle will last until Jesus returns or we get called home, okay? I can't wait for that day, but it hadn't happened yet. And in the meantime, we're going to have to struggle. We're going to have to fight. We're going to have to tame our tongues. And, and I want you to know that God's grace is sufficient even in that. And he loves you. And he'll help you. He gave you his Holy Spirit to help you. To produce, in James's language here, fresh water, not bitter water to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, to live out your faith with genuine works. God will help you do that. Let me close with this. Charles Spurgeon in his book called Salt Cellars, it captures how different cultures in history have articulated the power and the destructiveness of the tongue. And this is a, this is a great poem that, as far as I can tell, Spurgeon didn't write this, but he recorded it for us, and it, it goes like this. The boneless tongue, so small and weak, can crush and kill, declared the Greek. The tongue destroys a greater hoard, the Turk asserts, than does the sword. A Persian proverb wisely saith, a lengthy tongue, 
an early death or sometimes takes this form instead. Don't let your tongue cut off your head. The tongue can speak a word whose speed the Chinese say outstrips the steed. While Arab sages this impart, the tongue's great storehouse is the heart. From Hebrew wit, this maxim sprung. Though feet should slip, ne'er let the tongue. The sacred writer crowns the whole who keeps his tongue doth keep his soul. What's the hope for the Greek in this poem? What's the hope for the, the Turk, for the Persian, for the Chinese? What hope does a pagan Gentile like you and I here in North America have? What, what hope do we have? Our tongue's gonna destroy us. The poem doesn't speak explicitly to our hope, so let me, let me fill in the gaps here. Here's our hope, and I know Spurgeon would agree with this. There is no hope of taming the tongue without the grace of Jesus Christ. There's not. Because before Jesus can change your tongue, he's got to change your heart. So let me ask you this. Has Jesus changed your heart? Has he? Has he saved you and implanted inside of you his Holy Spirit? Ezekiel 36, 26 alludes to this. And the Old Testament prophet says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus came to do that for you. Jesus came and died on the cross for you so that you could be saved, so that your heart could be transformed and so that your tongue, your mouth can speak blessing instead of cursing. Have you received the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers? And as a believer, are you walking in the light of that transformation? That's our hope. That's our hope. And his name is Jesus. Bow with me in word for you. Lord, thank you for James 3 and the truths of your word. Thank you for allowing us to have this great power, the Holy Spirit, inside of us to do what we couldn't do ourselves. God, give us victory over the sins of our tongue as believers and followers of Jesus. Transform us, Lord. Convict us, Holy Spirit, and bring about those changes we need. And Lord, every step along the way, as we struggle and experience victory, we'll be quick to praise you with our tongues and recognize and acknowledge before the world it's not by our power that we are saved or transformed. It's by the power of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit living inside of us. Make that our great testimony before the world. I pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.